This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Indiana discussing the most documented case of demonic possession in the U.S. Then, we'll talk about an IU freshman who went on a morning bike ride and seemingly vanished. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the crossroads of America. Demonic Possession we all know is one of my favorite topics to discuss, or more often, debate with people. I blame my Catholic upbringing for my fascination with the possibility of evil possessing someone's soul. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've actually dated some of these people. Of 488 societies worldwide, 75% believe in spiritual possession, so it's not just the Catholics. Wherever you stand on this subject, The story I'm about to tell you is one of the most documented cases in history. A small house in Gary, Indiana, that was supposedly plagued with over 200 dark spirits and is known as the Demon House. In November of 2011, single mom Latoya Ammons and her mother moved into a rental at 3860 Carolina Street in Gary, Indiana. She had three children, ages 7, 9, and 12. Two little boys and a little girl. Also, fun fact, this was the murder capital of America in 2011. Yeah, I know it's a a dangerous city. I don't think of Indiana being... I've heard... Well, so Gary, Indiana is not super far from Chicago, but Mm -hmm. the poverty rate's really high, which... Unfortunately, you know, kind of correlates into high crime. Mm -hmm. So this was a single story, three bedroom, one bath home, just your typical, and we'll post pictures of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just looks like a normal house, Um, hardwood floors. The basement actually had part of the floor in the basement was dirt. Mm -hmm. Um, Open kitchen, open floor plan. Anyways, super simple house, like anybody's probably lived in in their life. So things kind of start getting weird. When, you know, after they move in, um, Rosa, Latoya's mom, the first thing they really noticed was an infestation of big black horse flies. Like, think Amityville Horror. Flies. Horse flies are the worst. I hate a damn fly, period. They drive me insane. Horse flies bite. Horse flies suck. They're probably really bad, too, because they're near a lot of water in Gary, Indiana, and they're really attracted to water. Well, this was winter. In Indiana. Well, that's why they're in the house. <laughs> right? But it was like a screened-in porch, mm-hmm. and there were just, like a sunroom, basically. Like, windows, yeah. and not like a screened-in porch like our grandparents had. Like, right, right. Um, like a sunroom. So, they were so bad, it was like a swarm, like a black fog. And they yeah. would kill them, and clean, and they would just be back. Very typical, in my experience of reading all about the demonic things... I know you're making a face, Lacey, but I do love a good possession. But that's very typical is flies. They're also, the devil. I mean, 
They're assholes. So then they started hearing like loud footsteps coming up the basement stairs. The stairs would creak like steps, Mm -hmm. like footsteps. And so one night they open, you know, the door's locked or whatever. So they open the basement door, no one there. Since they opened the door, they kept finding the door open. The door would be shut and they would get up and come into the kitchen and then the door would be open. Mm -hmm. So it was just very, to me, I would be freaking out. Shut up, Lacey. Which, so I got up this morning and I went to your bathroom. I stayed at Lacey's last night. And so I went we to the bathroom. We had an adult slumber party. We did have an adult slumber party last night. So we, um, and not like that. So yeah. I watched my first episode of Sex and the City. That's going to be a whole nother tragic. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I get up and go to your bathroom at like 4 a.m. And the door underneath your stairs was open. No, okay. But let me tell you, it's because it doesn't, it doesn't have a latch to close. So it just stays open? It will open on its own, yeah. It's not. It's just because it doesn't. It's your house. No, it's not. Do you have bad spirits in your house? No. I don't. You don't know that. Mm -mm. She's debunking Uh, my. It has a doorknob, but it doesn't have the hardware. So maybe that's what this was. Yeah. Because they unlocked Mm -hmm. it. So, okay, Mm -hmm. we've already poked some holes in this. We noticed that when we started looking at the houses that the door wouldn't latch. So it's. We would have to replace the entire doorknob to fix that problem. Because I was like... And it's an old house. It's on a slant, so it will open on its own because it doesn't have the latch. So that's what's going on here. I'm just kidding. I don't know anything (laughs) about that house. And that's my story. What's yours about? (laughs) Shit. No, no, no. (laughs) Anyways, they kept finding the door open on its own, and they would hear banging and growling coming from the basement. And then Mm -hmm. one morning, they found like wet footprints on the floor of a human or of an animal boot okay like boot prints like shoes do you think a rabid raccoon got into some shoes and started i'm, I'm done with lacy i'm not in the, no we're done i'm just devil's advocate see, do you see, <laughs> this is what i deal with when i talk about demonic possession from people this is the feedback i get which is why i said Oftentimes, it's an argument in a debate with people. So Rosa, the the mom, the grandma. Uh The grandma, okay. Yeah. Also said she would wake up and see like dark, shadowy figures at night. Mm -hmm. She checks the doors and windows and whatnot to make sure everything's Uh locked. And anyways, so, you know, to like make sure nobody had got in or got out or whatever. So everything was locked. So anyways. So in March, this is November. So then in March, things get worse. Like they had a family member die and then everyone came over to their house after and everyone's just like eating and, you know, talking like you do after somebody passes away. And um, the daughter was on the couch, the little girl, and something jerked her off the couch and everybody saw it. Nobody saw what it was, but everybody saw her get jerked off Quickly, the couch yeah, okay. by something. Mm-hmm. Then the son, the youngest son, the seven-year-old, was thrown against the freezer in the kitchen. The same day? Yes. And people saw this in their family. It wasn't just them. Other people witnessed this. So the kids go to bed. Family is downstairs. And they hear the little girl screaming. And they run up the stairs. And she is floating over her bed, like levitating and is sound asleep. 
And it's not just the grandma and the mom that are saying this stuff's going on. Mm-hmm. Other people in their family witness this too. So they start praying and like surround her because they couldn't like pull her down. And eventually she comes back down. I know. I know your face right now. You think this is all bullshit. I'm just listening. So mixed reports, you know, they're like, did they pray her down? Was it not as bad as what they've kind of, you know, stories escalate and they can get misconstrued. So they go to the local church and the pastor comes to the house and prays Uh and said that he felt like it was very troubled by spirits. And he went around to the doors and the windows with anointing oil and crucifixes and prayed and told them that their house should be cleaned Mm -hmm. with bleach and ammonia. Okay. And that would get rid of the bad spirits. Never heard it. Don't know if it's true or not. Ammonia stinks. I mean, I couldn't imagine. And bleach isn't great either. But anyways... So that's what LaToya does is get this olive oil and ammonia and all the things that he's saying to do. And she puts the olive oil, draws crosses over all the windows mm-hmm. and doors with the olive oil to get rid of the evil spirits. I've never heard of that olive Me oil. either. She also puts this oil on her kids' hands and feet and have them go around and like touch doors and windows, and draws crosses on their foreheads. Next thing they do is call two clairvoyants to the house. And these clairvoyants set them down and say that their house is infested with more than 200 demons, and they are emanating from the basement. That's where they feel like it's coming from. Hmm. And that they should take their kids and leave immediately. Well, they don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. So... Their other option they suggested was for LaToya to build a makeshift altar in the basement, place a white candle on top, and a statue of the Holy Family. So, Hmm. Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Next, she dressed all in white and saged the entire house while repeating Psalm 91 for God's protection. Then she returns back to the basement puts the Bible on the altar, opened up to the page of Psalm 91. So they had peace and quiet for three days after she did all this. Okay. So she's like, okay, this worked. But then shit got real. Then the possessions began. Her son would have an imaginary playmate that he would play with him in the closet. And he would ask her what it was like to die. The oldest son would talk about what it was like to murder someone. The daughter said she was being tormented by voices saying her family was going to be taken away and she would cover her ears and scream that she couldn't take it. Her son was thrown out of the bathroom. Her daughter was thrown against the bed and hit her head on the headboard so bad she needed stitches. This kind of reminds me a little bit of the Amityville horror. Exactly. the, The children are seeing and hearing things parents are. Yeah. Yeah. The kids would growl, hiss, and speak in demonic-sounding voices. Their eyes would bulge and roll back in their head. And after these possessions, they would pass out like they were exhausted. Mm. They would be physically assaulted, like I said, by the demons. Daughter had to get stitches. So 
the kids were being assaulted at night so they wouldn't go to school during the day because they hadn't had any sleep. So uh, their last night there, things were flying around and they grabbed what they could and they left. And as they were leaving, their son was shoved off the porch. She now went to a doctor. Latoya took her children to the doctor. And he spoke with both the boys. The doctor Mm -hmm. did. And both of them started cussing and growling at him. These are all documented. Like these physicians wrote in their charts, in their paperwork, this is what I experienced. The growling, the hissing, the cussing. One of them was thrown up against the wall right in front of his eyes. Like no one was in there. No one was touching him. To the point that the the doctor called 911 and they took them all to the hospital. So when they get there, she's trying to explain, you know, to the ER what's going Hmm, on. And no one buys it. The little boys are thrashing and growling. Took five men to hold a seven-year-old down. Max is seven. You see how big he is. Mm -hmm. You could hold him down. You know what I'm saying? Five grown men to hold the seven-year-old down because he was going nuts. So they also called in CPS, Child Protective Services, because they were like, something's going on with these. Valerie Washington shows up. She's their caseworker. She looks over the kids. There's nothing to see. She doesn't see any signs of them being beaten or malnourished or any of that. She interviews the little boys and the seven-year-old starts growling and showing his teeth and he rolled his eyes back in his head to where it was just the whites of his eyes and then attacks his brother and starts strangling him. Again, this is all in her paperwork. Like Mm -hmm. she's documenting all of these things. So Valerie thought that maybe they were doing this to show out for their mother. So she removes mom from the, situ- from the yeah, situation. Yeah, that's kind of... Because kids can feed off their parents. If 100%. The parents freaked out. Yes. They've seen stuff. You know, yeah. I get that. So she's like, okay, mom, we're, it's just going to be us mm-hmm. and the nurse yeah. and, and grandma. You leave and let me talk to them. So this time the oldest started. He, you know, he starts thrashing and growling and acting, whatever. So grandma like grabs his hands and is like praying, like saying a prayer, like, you know, Mm. blah, blah, blah. So when he does this or when she does this, Valerie is quoted as saying, this is the caseworker in her charts, in her paperwork. He walked backwards up the wall, holding onto his grandmother's hands flipped her over what and stood there and there is no way he could have done that i believe there was something else going on that is outside of the realm of a normal person okay. quick question it's 2011 mm-hmm. we have phones is anything recorded or pictures taken of this stuff by the caseworker or like no because she's interviewing a child for a case so she's not recording it like mm-hmm. with hit you know what i'm saying like yeah. we don't like I work at the no, hospital, so I, I mean, know. like, I know we don't record children. Well, but yes, but if you see a kid start walking up the wall, right. are you not, I would get my phone out, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. saying, just saying. In that case, I'd have my phone out. So the doctor comes running in and asks him to do it again, and he has no idea what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, he just, he has no idea. So the next day, 
is the seven-year-old's birthday. They're, they are in the hospital overnight. So the next day is a seven-year-old's birthday, and mom's like, I'm going to have a little party for him at the hospital. But that's when Valerie informs mom that the kids are being taken away and put into foster care until they can investigate more because they've missed school. Now you're talking about demonic possession. Now they're worried, like, is mom crazy? Is she schizophrenic? Is there, you know what I'm saying? Is there blame. drug abuse involved? Yeah, I mean, like, which is all very valid. Yeah. And it's little kids. They're seven yeah. and nine. They're and, taking and, it yeah. seriously. That's, they're not, that's yes. Good. They're yeah. taking it serious. So the hospital chaplain, oh, this is what, this is what is listed on the paperwork for why they were taken away emotional and spiritual stress, hmm. which is very odd. So the chaplain at the hospital is made aware of the situation, the de- demons and all that. So on April 20th, he contacts father Michael Mangino of St. Stephen's requesting an exorcism. April 22nd, he goes to the house and for the next two hours, he interviews Rosa and LaToya. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on? What's happening here? Tell me about these demons or why you think there are demons. Because he hasn't witnessed any of sure. these things. Yeah. So, as he's interviewing, the lights start flickering. The blinds in the living room start swinging back and forth. And the floor gets wet footprints on it. And he's now he's seen this, mm-hmm. this happen. Latoya complains of a really bad headache. Father puts a cross against her head and begins to pray. She starts to convulse. He is now completely convinced that this house is plagued by demons. And this is after a four-hour interview. He walks room to room and blesses them. And he urges Latoya to move. A week later, caseworker, CPS, come. Police come to accompany her just to make sure there's nothing that goes on. And they're basically just kind of seeing if the kids can come back home. Like, is whatever happened, is it over? Or like, are you? Yeah. Yeah. You've been checked out, LaToya. You're fine. You've passed all the, you're not on drugs. You're not crazy. You're not whatever. Anyways. So they are going through the house, walking, you know, room to room, making sure it's safe for the kids. They go to the basement. And it's, which is just a concrete floor. There's a dirt floor under the stairs. And in that area, the concrete is like broken and jagged. And Latoya says, that's where the demons are. That's where they're coming from. Is that spot. Hmm. So the police chief's with them and he's not really believing this. It's mm-hmm. happening. Like you. He's a, he's a lacy. He's a skeptic and probably everybody listening. No. Um, Our listeners are fairly mixed. I've done some Instagram polls, but I'm probably the um, the minority here. <laughs> so they did find like a candle in a pan under the stairs and thought maybe there was some kind of ritual that did they took dig place? into it? No, it's just like it's sitting there. Like the cops when they're walking through, they're like that's sitting there, and that's when she explains. Well. They told oh, me to okay. kind of make a makeshift altar, which is, I can now see why CPS was called. And also the police are like, are you, are you sure yeah. you're okay? Because this is very odd. Mm-hmm. All of it is odd and it's involving children. Yeah. But the police chief would go on record to say that he tried to record while they were walking through to see what he could hear. And the batteries were dead, even though he just replaced them in the car before he got out. 
They also took pictures, and in one of the photos, you can see like a white, smoky-looking thing in the window. Hmm. These these are all pictures. I'll mm-hmm. send them, and you can post them. Um, a cloud appeared in one of the photos that has a f- looking like a face and appears to be a woman. It, and every picture that they took, anybody on their phone, they all had some kind of smoky, weird-looking figure thing in them. <clears throat> so when the police chief leaves, he says his car starts acting funny, and when he gets home, his garage door wouldn't open. He also um, stops to make a call when he leaves there on his phone, and his radio kept coming on and blaring. And even people on the other end of the phone were like, why does your radio keep coming on and, and doing mm-hmm. so? Anyways, a lot of weird shit is happening. After this, a, a couple of the cops that were there quit that day and what? moved out of town. Oh, my god! Like, it was serious. So, DCFS petitions the court for temporary guardianship of the kids, which was granted because mom wouldn't send them to school. So, why wasn't she sending them to school? Because they were getting attacked at night and they, they weren't, weren't sleeping. sleeping and they were tired and... So they tell her that in order to get her kids back, she needs to get a new house. Oh, and gosh. Um, actually, they Valerie, their caseworker, quit. What? They said you have to get a new house in order for you to get your kids back. Then Valerie, their caseworker, quits and moves out of town. So now they're assigned a new caseworker. So in May, there's all this stuff going down in March. So in May. New caseworker, Latoya, Grandma, and Father Mike, and the cops go back to the home and down to the basement. And they're looking everything over. She's found a house. They're moving, but they want to get the kids back before they move. So they come back. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, here's the situation. We're going to do another walkthrough, blah, blah, blah. Right. They see stuff dripping from the ceiling. Caseworker, cops, priest, everybody goes on record to see this. They clean it all up, go upstairs, whatever, it's back. No one's in it. No one's put it there. Everything's back. So there's like some weird shit going on. Do they know what it is? Like some kind of like oozy, snotty, gross stuff. They start asking LaToya about like relationships, who else is in the house, like... Do you have a boyfriend? Because the priest is basically like, did someone curse you? Like, is something going on? And Latoya says, yes, she does have a boyfriend. He has been visiting a lot. And so he's like, okay, maybe he put a curse on your family. So he's like, has anything gone missing? Or she says, yes. He did ask me for a pair of panties once. Which, is that odd? I don't know. I mean, have you ever had anybody ask you for panties, Lacey? No. We've been married for Sorry. (laughs) And I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> I'll put a poll up. Yeah, we're just going to put a poll up. Has anyone ever asked you for a pair of your no. panties? But he's just asking because personal items are often used as like a, a conduit for evil. So someone could take something personal like panties, photo, toothbrush, I don't know, personal items and do their hocus pocus on it and use it for bad Lacey's Lacey's face right now. (laughs) She's like, I don't buy any of this shit. (laughs) So anyways, he thought maybe she had put it, he had put a curse on her. Yeah. They're just trying to explore their options. So they dig into the dirt. 
to see if they can find something there. It's about time. I would have been digging in that dirt ASAP. Your dog, Charlie, would have already he would have. He's been, he'd have been late. He'd have been a devil dog. He would have had so many holes under that. He would have been so possessed. He would have been. Oh my gosh. So they dig down four feet and find a sock. Um, what? A political button. What? One of your Lee Press on Nails, Lacey. (laughs) Found a Lee Press on Nail. You're joking. Nope. And, um, hey, a you pair found of, weirder stuff in my attic. This is true. This is true. And a, and a pair of underwear. Not hers, but a pair of, like, children's underwear. Ew, don't, I mean. So I, they cover the hole back mm. up and put a, put blessed salt over they it. They should have de- dug deeper. Four feet's a lot. Keep going. Keep how, going. How Six? Was, Six. Oh, Lord. Six minimum. So all this weird shit's going on. Father contacts the bishop because you have to get permission from a bishop to perform the rites of they an exorcism. They should have dug six feet, six inches, and six centimeters. Lacey's going to keep on with this shit, and the next podcast <laughs> is just going to be me because I'm going to be like, Lacey's in the state hospital because she flipped out because oh. her house is possessed and her door's no, open not- all the time. And she's got a scary attic with steep stairs. That sounds like a joke, but I'm serious. Think about it. Six feet deep, six inches deep, six centimeters deep. I'm not joking. Are you gonna are you gonna measure this? I'm just saying. You would think a priest would have thought of that. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't think a priest would be like, let me do all the sixes in the house that's already. I feel like I'm just saying like that's the devil's number. So dig six six six, right? I don't know. I feel like you should stop saying that. I'm just saying, I'm, my armpits are sweating right Girl, now. I have a lot of olive oil downstairs. I mean, so they have to get permission from the bishop, who has to get permission from the diocese, to perform an exorcism. Yep. And they say, hell no, you're not doing that. They deny him. Why? Because they're like, there's just not a lot, there's not a lot here. All of this could be explained. So I feel like you're jumping to conclusions and an exorcism is a very, very big deal, and I don't feel like you have proven to us that there needs to be one of these that take place. But you can do like a little mini exorcism, and where like you pray over, and then just try to drive out the evil spirits. Mm-hmm. So that's what he does. Sure. And he tells her, "You have to name the demons." That you feel like are possessing, like they're. How do you know? Because they all have names. They're like yeah, angels. Above. Sorry, I'm saying Zaza is one. I feel or like you should stop saying all of these names. Also, so hey, I actually know more about demons than you would think. I, I, sounds like it. I do not speak about names or the numbers that you talk about because I'm very superstitious. <laughs> Anyways, so he's going to perform the exor- the little mini exorcism on her, but she has to, the, the demons have to have names because he has to tell them to leave her body. But there's so many demons. How do you figure that out? Because of what, what exactly is happening? Oh, like, okay. are you growling and you're hissing and all that? Then it's probably, hmm, this demon. Did oh, I your s- eyes are rolling back in your head. <laughs> and now that I say it out loud, it does sound quite funny. Then it's this one. Like, they have their trademark possessions that they do to whomever. He starts to do this little mini exorcism, and she, like, 
freaks out and does whatever. And he, at this point, he goes back to the bishop and he's like, okay. Mm -hmm. So now he grants it. Now he grants the right for him to do a full-on exorcism. So the father would perform three exorcisms, two in English, one in Latin. Cops were there. Interesting. Huh. Just in case something happens. So he says prayers, recites scripture, and puts crucifix on her head. She convulses and thrashes around during the first two. But the final one becomes more violent because it's in Latin. It's very intense. And her symptoms got even worse as far as the convulsing and and acting crazy. So after the final exorcism, the demon finally left her. She is no longer possessed. And six months after this all started and the kids were taken away, she finally gets her kids back because they found a house in the meantime to move into. Mm -hmm. And they all move to Indianapolis and all returns to normal. The last caseworker visits in January of 2013 and writes in her papers, no demonic possession or spirits in the home and the case is closed. Does anyone live in that house now? I'm going to get to all that. Okay. So there are over 800 pages of official records about this case. And that's thunder. CPS, police officers, psychologists, caseworkers, and Father Mike, and physicians, have all went on record and said they experienced X, Y, and Z. They saw all these things going on. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. So she actually, LaToya, releases these records to the public, but mm. keeps the children's names out. She knew the experiences they were having were real, and she knows that God is what got them out of it. And so she's telling her story about all of these things, and guess who hears about this and decides that he wants to investigate it? I do know this answer. Zach Baggins, who is... A guy with a faux hawk and jeans. <laughs> he has a show on the Travel Channel, like Ghost Hunters or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, Ghost Adventures, maybe. Ghost Adventures, yeah. something ghost. Anyways, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so in 2014, he has a nightmare where he sees a 12 foot tall goat man and was forced to inhale black smoke from the goat's mouth. He says, "What?" He this says, really "Took a turn." Yes, is that Baphomet? I don't know. So he says he wakes up and his lungs hurt so bad. It was hard for him to breathe. And once he heard her story about this house, he was convinced that it was connected. Hmm. So he goes up there and ends up buying the house for $30,000. Oh, this is the house. Okay. Yes. I knew he bought a house. This is okay, it. Okay, okay. The house with the 200 demons in it. So he buys the house for $30,000. Squatters has take have taken mm-hmm. it completely over because maybe they were squatting the whole time. Maybe they were frogging. Maybe they were frogging. I'm telling you, it all circles back. It's all it's, it's, it's all connected. So the owner's like, I can't rent it out because it's got this stigma of being yeah. a demon house. 
So, yes. So, we couldn't rent it out because it's haunted. Mm-hmm. So, before Zach goes up there, he calls a psychic. Psychic contacts him and warns him that the house has a demon guardian that is a 12-foot-tall goat man. And he should stay away. And he's like, okay, I just want to talk to the family. So, he contacts them. No one calls him back. They don't want anything to do with it. So he drives to her new place. So they won't talk to him, but her brother finally agrees to talk to him. And after that, they wouldn't let him back into their house because they were like, the Latoya and her mom, because they're like, you talk to Zach. Zach's connected to this demon. What if the demon passed from Zach into you? And like, that's how freaked the fuck out they were. They were like, we don't want anything to do with the house or you. If you've been associated with any of that. So... Zach tracks down other people like the priests, the cops, etc., that have been associated with the case, and they told him what they saw and experienced. Uh, the people that were squatting in the house and previous owners actually said, we didn't experience any of that, so we don't know what they're talking about. So the house was inspected when he bought it, and they found mold, asbestos, and carbon monoxide in the house, which Ooh, could have been a cause of that the make delusions. Exactly. Oh, it's all coming to me. It okay. could be like that. shared delusions based on mold and yes. carbon. That's, that could, really can happen. It really can happen. So he meets with Micah, who lived there before them, and she said she had actually experienced hearing footsteps and people talking hmm. in the basement before. She agreed to go down there and on the way yelled out, someone just kicked me. Video does show, because you know, Zach records everything. Mm-hmm. Video does show her walking down the stairs and it looked like her leg buckling, like somebody kicked it mm-hmm. and her almost mm-hmm. falling. So she says this basement had been her brother's room and she had had dreams that someone in her family would die. But no one listened to her, and soon after, her brother was shot and killed. So she gets really upset by all this and goes upstairs. And, you know, her kids are with her. They're older. And her son tells Zach that he's scared the ghost is going to follow them home. And then they hear Micah's, her mic pick up and a voice saying, run, LaToya. Mm. I know. It's very weird. So his crew sets up an altar in the living room and the basement Zach goes nuts on his crew, starts shoving members and telling them all, get the fuck out. But he has no memory of this, but it's all on camera. Like he flips out. So they go out for a drive to kind of cool down and everything. And the neighbors call and say someone's trying to break in. They see people trying to break into the house. So the cops come, but will not get any closer than the sidewalk in front of the house. Because they said they didn't want anything to follow them home. That's how paranoid people were about this house. So Valerie was interviewed, you know, the first CPS worker. And she said she saw the kids walk up the wall. And she quit her job right after that and had to see a therapist for years. And she's like, you know, I've been a caseworker. I've seen terrible things happen to kids. Yeah, I'm sure. But I've never experienced anything like this. The other caseworker, Samantha, who was the second one that came in, had multiple accidents after this that left her with serious injuries. She broke her hand, broke her ankle, 
had third-degree burns from a motorcycle crash, and broke three of her ribs falling off a jet ski in the first 30 days after being assigned to this case. So two days after meeting with the cop, you know, Zach met with the cop. The cop was hospitalized because he fell on ice. Actually, he was kind of thrown on the ice and like thrown three feet up in the air, landed on his head. Oh, man. And had like brain stuff going on. And then later on that year was shot in a home invasion. Mm. So Debbie... Costiano worked with Zach on the documentary that, you know, he's filming this documentary. That's why he bought the house. You can watch it on YouTube. It's free. It's crazy. And they warn you before you watch it that, like, you may be bad shit may happen to you if you watch this movie. So I didn't watch the movie, but I I listened to a podcast called True Crime Obsessed. And Mm -hmm. it's a comedy podcast, Mm -hmm. but they cover documentary. They cover shows on TV, movies, documentaries. They cover this, and they're kind of poking fun at him the whole time. But they play real clips from the movie and Mm -hmm. kind of just explain the gist of it. So I've listened to that episode. I haven't watched it, but it's a funny episode of their podcast. So um, this you know, she's working with them on this documentary and she says, I want to try to contact the demon remotely and tape it. And it picked up a deep voice saying something is wrong. A few months later, Debbie and her roommate were murdered by her husband who then killed himself. So a lot of bad shit's happened to anybody that's connected to this story. In February of 2014, two days after leaving the house, Micah's daughter tried to OD on medication. Micah's the girl that came in and was talking to him. Her daughter tried to OD on medication and then stabbed herself in both wrists like where Jesus was hung. And there were also three sixes carved on her back. Mm, that is insanity. Yeah. Several crew members quit. The neighbors had several people had said several people had died in the house, including a little boy who stayed in the same room, the basement that Micah's brother stayed in. Camera crews experienced vomiting blood and extreme agitation. Like they were complete different people the entire time they were filming the documentary. One said he saw the goat man and he wanted Zach to stay away. That he shouldn't come back to the house. That he kind of had a premonition about it. And Zach didn't tell them about this. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So he kept acting strange and told Zach to go into the bathroom and break the glass and cut his throat. So Zach takes him off the crew. Okay. But he refused to get help. The guy. He was like, I'm not whatever. Then he gets a the three six tattoo on his what? hand and his personality completely Why changes. And he is him? no longer involved with any of that. So Zach's ready for all this to be over and he says, You know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna spend the night in the house. I'm going to board up all the windows and doors so nothing can get in. I'm gonna set up surveillance cameras and use my handheld video camera. So lots of things are caught on this. A lot of thumping and creaking. He says he saw dark figures. 
coming out of the wall and extreme pain coming out of his eyes like he was in major agony. So the next day he goes to the hospital and he is diagnosed with diplopia. Hmm. I'm probably not saying that right. And has to wear prism glasses now. It's a permanent neurological disorder. What? And neurologists have checked him out and they cannot find a cause. He was also sick for eight days and couldn't leave his hotel room. Okay, but real question. Did they get rid of the mold and everything before he did all this? The mold and carbon? Because I feel like if he's boarding up the windows, all that, he needs to... I mean, I, I mean, could that affect you? I feel like if you really in such want a it short to be, period of time, but I mean, if you really want it to be a baseline, is this house possessed? Get rid of the things that could cause delusions. Agreed, but even being in it for that short of a period of time, do you no think idea. it could do that? No, I, I don't either. I got my medical degree online. Your husband has a medical <laughs> degree. We'll just have to, but he won't talk to us on the air. <laughs> It took the three years to complete the documentary. Are you serious? And I he didn't thinks know that. the documentary is cursed. Okay, great. It was released in March. Thanks for releasing. March of eighteen. Thanks for releasing that. Then, like I said, there's a huge disclaimer on it. Like you may be possessed. Mm-hmm. You do not have to watch this film. So he has the house demolished. Whoa. And buried all the pieces inside it like a landfill. But he did keep the stairs and some dirt from that spot in his little. Storage that he kind of keeps all of his... Like the conjuring basement or whatever. Yeah, where they keep all the the things. He believes that this house was built on some sort of portal to hell. The end. (laughs) So, he owns this land still. Yes. Hmm. My problem is, I don't trust Zach Baggins. I'd want a different sort We want sweet and sour she's, paranormal. She's like, this is all. I want sweet and sour paranormal to go um, explore this stomping ground of Gary, Indiana. I mean, there's nothing there now. Yeah. It's well, all gone. Well, if it is a portal, then wouldn't it be the ground, not the house? I mean, that you're not wrong. But if it's if the portal's buried in all the... I don't know the rules to portals to hell. I just read about demonic possession and then I'm completely freaked out for like the next six months that I'm seeing shit out the corner of my eye or like my kid's Uh clearing his throat and I'm like, what's wrong with you? Oh, And he's like, nothing, I drink milk. (laughs) What's happening? Hmm. So I would love to hear other people's thoughts on this. Yeah. If you're listening, please let us know your theories for real. I'm curious because... I haven't. I don't know much about this case. I'm kind of wondering if it's the mold, if it's shared delusion, folly ado. I don't know if that can go to uh, people. I, that's usually a shared delusion amongst mm-hmm. I think people that are related and stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know about the social worker and doctors. That's what's stumping me here. Is what everybody is saying the same thing. And it there would be like, one like, thing yeah. if it was contained to a family. Yeah. But the fact that there's doctors and social workers that has me stumped on what it could be. I don't know. So please email us at United States of Murder at gmail.com with your theories. Yes, we want to hear your theories. I'll probably post as soon as I, you know, we release this, I'll post some things on Instagram. I know we have some people that are definitely into this kind of thing. I'm very interested in this. I know I make fun of things like this, but I'm I love paranormal stuff. It's just nothing ever happens to me. 
Well, that's not a bad thing. I, I mean, I would rather be you than like these people. Oh, yeah. I don't, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely interesting. So it's kind of funny because I have the same story that happened. I'm just joking. My story like, is what? My story is <laughs> nothing like this. It's it's totally the opposite. Of well, this, good because much. I don't want to hear anymore. It's like mm-hmm. thundering and storming here now. It's it's, it's been three p.m. It's and it's been super a, dark. It's been a whole week. It's been a week. Yeah. So, is yours a survivor story? I cannot tell. I'll tell you. I don't want to give. I don't like giving away the ending. All right. So I'm going to tell you about a 19 year old college student by the name of Jill Berman. In May of 2000, Jill had just finished up her freshman year at Indiana University as a business major. Jill was an avid cyclist, you know, bicycle. She rode daily on her Cannondale R500. I don't know much about bikes, but from what I could tell, that's a pretty expensive bike. So she was really into it. So on Wednesday, May 31st of 2000, Jill planned on meeting her father and grandfather at 3 p.m. for a late lunch. But before she met them, she needed to get a bike ride in, and she also had to work a shift at IU's Student Recreational Sports Center at noon. So Jill went on her morning bike ride around 9 a.m. that morning. 3 p.m. rolls around, and Jill does not show up at the restaurant. She was super responsible, and it wasn't like her to just not show up. She would have at least given them a heads up. Well, her dad found out she never showed up for work that day either at noon. So, of course, at this point, her parents are pretty concerned. But when Jill doesn't return that evening, that's when they call police and file a missing persons report. So, from what I read, the community and police begin searching for her immediately, which is great. You know, I'm glad they didn't give them the whole, oh, well, she might just be a runaway Mm -hmm. spiel. So Jill's family distributed flyers all over town, and volunteers mapped out routes where she may have ridden her bike that morning. A witness said that around 9.30 that morning, they saw her near the intersection of Harrell Road and Moffett Lane on her bike in southeastern Bloomington, Indiana. Well, when she left the house that morning, she headed south. So two days later, a jogger comes forward and reports that he saw her bike near a cornfield close to Ellettsville, Indiana, which is 10 miles northwest of Bloomington. He actually saw the bike on Wednesday, but he didn't realize until Friday that this bike belonged to this missing girl. Right. He didn't put it together. So he ended up taking the bike home with him when he saw it because he could tell it was abandoned, but he knew it was a nice bike and he thought the whole thing was kind of strange, so he took it home. Well, investigators searched the area where he found the bike, but there were no clues. And I also read that the bike only had minimal damage. So it wasn't destroyed. or It it looked like it had maybe gotten damaged in some capacity, but not like really, not where you couldn't Mm -hmm. ride it. Mm -hmm. So Jill's family also thought it was really weird that she had her bike in that area. She had last been, she had last been seen headed south, but her bike was found 10 miles to the northwest. They didn't think she would have taken this route because it would have taken her through the traffic in town, which she usually liked to avoid, and that's just not somewhere she would really go. Okay, so three more days pass, and then someone found a digital radio 
in a Bloomington church parking lot. They believed the radio belonged to Jill. And around the same time, another church member noticed a dark-colored pickup truck drive quickly out of the church parking lot. They couldn't tell what the driver looked like. So Jill's parents, university officials, and others offer a $2,500 reward for information. Sorry, $25,000 reward for information. And then it's later raised to $50,000. They just want someone with any info to come forward. Right. So on June 6th, the FBI gets involved. Months pass. And then in November of that year, her story is featured on the show Million Dollar Mysteries. Have you heard of it? Mm -mm. I never heard of it either. So this prompted 50 calls to the police and FBI. And they started getting all kinds of tips. And then an 18-year-old woman called in and told them that around two weeks after Jill's disappearance... She was walking past an old black Ford pickup truck in Ellettsville around 10.30 that night. As she walked by, the driver grabbed her arm and tried to pull her inside the truck, but she was able to escape. No one has ever been arrested in this case, and the man is still unknown, but many believe they could be connected cases. So authorities also found out about an unusual incident that occurred in Bowling Green, Kentucky. A woman was out riding her bike and was purposefully hit by an unknown driver. Purposely hit? Purposefully hit. Mm -hmm. He hits the bike and then tries, as she's on the ground, tries to pull her into his vehicle. What a dick. And luckily a witness was, was nearby and chased this guy away, but he drove off. They got a composite sketch, and I'll show a picture on social media to link that up, but nothing came of that. So I was curious, so I looked up the distance, and Bowling Green, Kentucky is only 187 miles away from Bloomington, Indiana, Bloomington south of Indianapolis. So this would have only been around a three-hour and 20-minute drive between the two, so not too far for it to possibly be the same person, you know, especially if someone drives for work, drives to see family, whatever. So in April of 2001, the police and FBI announced a new theory about Jill's disappearance that a passing vehicle hit her, the driver panicked, and then moved Jill's body and bike from the scene. Like a hit and run, they were freaked out, let's, you know, hide the body. And then, uh, sorry, yeah. what is that people's go-to? I know, I know. Like, you're going to get in more trouble. It's, do you just, I mean, I'm sure they just panic, it's not, do they? Panic, I mean, yeah, panic, maybe they're on drugs, maybe there's a warrant out for their arrest, maybe, you know, they've hit someone, they're going to sue, and I know people at the time are probably freaked out, but when you find out, or living with that guilt, let's say the guilt doesn't get to you, if they finally figure you out, you're totally screwed. It's just uh, that They're, they're going to find out. Yeah. They're going to know. Yeah. So soon after this, they doubled the reward for info to $100,000. A year later, on March 22, 2002, someone comes forward with some interesting information. Wendy Owings told FBI agent Gary Dunn that she and two friends had killed Jill. She said she was in a car with two friends named Alicia Evans and Uriah Klaus, and they had been drinking and using drugs. Couldn't find out exactly what drugs, but most articles said hard drugs. So she said they hit Jill with the car, but she was not fully dead. This is what just, 
if this were to be true, if you hit someone and they're not fully dead, freaking call 911 ASAP. Well, call 911 ASAP regardless, but it's like she could have survived if this is true. That's the worst whenever it, you tell it, stories or I tell when stories. When it's like, oh, they were still alive, but mm-hmm. we panic. Like it's the like, one that you told one of my coworkers listened to the other day, it was one of the uh, the the little girl, remember, that I got yeah. so mad at you doing, and mm-hmm. like her wounds had started to heal. Yeah. And like she was still alive. I know. Like, oh, those stories ripped my guts out. I know. I know. And she said that she wasn't dead, so they finished her off and then dumped her body near Salt Creek after they drove her bike in a different direction and ditched it. Mm Mm-mm. Just leaving her there would have been absolutely terrible, but proceeding to kill her and then doing all of that is beyond. It's terrible. I don't know. Well, police searched the area and nobody was recovered. However, there was a lot of flooding there and maybe that could have shifted the body to a different location or, I don't know, just speculating there. People also called the police telling them that all three of these people had been going around town telling the same story. Which, who would go around saying, yeah, we were out riding our car and we hit someone and killed them? And did this. What, who would do that? I know. I know people actually do this even if they're not guilty, which I have no. Anyway, police called them all three in for questioning, conducted polygraphs. When Wendy was asked if she had any knowledge of dis- Jill's disappearance, she said, yes, I do. And the exam showed that Wendy was not being deceptive. Well, when the other two, Uriah and Alicia, were asked the same question, they both answered that they did not know anything about Jill's disappearance, and the tests showed that they were both being deceptive. So whatever reason, because I truly don't get this, prosecutor Carl Salzman concluded that Wendy was the one lying, and that Uriah and Alicia were telling the truth. So he said that he didn't think they had anything to do with her disappearance. He didn't think they killed him. He didn't think they killed her. Soon after, Wendy recanted the confession and they've never been charged. Is that not just such... That's no, that is so weird to me. Mm-mm. So in March of 2003, two hunters found skeletal remains east of Bloomington, Indiana. And after an autopsy, it was confirmed to be Jill. Her cause of death... Stop. ...was a shot to the back of the head. A gunshot? Mm, yes. In April 2006, police arrested John Myers of Ellettsville for her abduction and murder. Apparently, John had been a suspect for several years, and Jill's bike was found just one mile away from his home, and he was on vacation from work the week of her disappearance. He wasn't out of town. He just wasn't in work, you know, going into work that week. On the day she vanished... Witnesses noticed that the windows in his trailer were covered and his car was parked out of sight. He was reportedly hysterical that day and talked about leaving town and never coming back. So shortly before Jill vanished, John and his girlfriend had broken up. And a few days later, he told his aunt about Jill's disappearance and claimed that he was afraid he was going to be blamed for it. Which was strange because he didn't know her. He also stated that they hadn't found her body yet and guessed she was dead. 
So he was going around town talking about Jill's disappearance. He didn't. He Smell didn't her know ass. her. Yeah, this is smeller ass. Yeah. So he also told her he was scared of roadblocks, but he wouldn't explain why. In August of 2000, his brother noticed that the 12 gauge shotgun that he stored at his parents' home was missing, and a shotgun was what was used to kill Jill. So following Jill's disappearance, John brought up the case to multiple people for no apparent reason. He's just talking too much about it. Yeah, it's so strange. So he told co-workers about how he was considered a suspect, how her bike was found near his home, and how she was probably abducted around his house. He also falsely claimed that he found her bike. He also bet that her remains would be found in the woods. On another occasion, he stated that if he was ever going to hide a body, he would do so in a wooded area up, quote, this way, pointing north on Maple Grove Road. That's very specific. He claimed he was comfortable with that area because he used to hunt there. So that's where he would hide a body. Good. Okay, good to know. Well, while he was in jail for an unrelated crime, he told a corrections officer that he felt sorry for what happened to Jill, and he gave him a list of places to help search for her. The area her body ended up being was one of the places on the list. Of course it was. Isn't this ridiculous? Mm -hmm. So in November 2004, John called his grandmother and said, Grandma, if you just knew the things I've got on my mind, if the authorities knew it, I'd be in prison for the rest of my life. He also claimed that his father knew what happened and had, quote, taken it to his grave. He later told her, Grandma, I wish I just wasn't a bad person. I wish I hadn't done these bad things. He didn't necessarily say killing anyone, but the grandma was like, listen, this guy, he's been telling me all this. His aunt talked about it, his brother. So even his own family members are, you know, coming forward saying these are what he was telling us because they were very concerned about it. He also talked to a cellmate about, <laughs> he talked to God and everybody. I he mean, need to shut up. He, did he make his own podcast? I'm mm-hmm. curious. It's just like, dude. I can't deal with this guy. This guy. I know. You're going to, when you hear the rest of the story, you're going to be like, what is going on here? Okay. I'm already like, what is going on? This is why I talk about demons. So he talked to a cellmate about Jill and the case, and he allegedly said, if she wouldn't have said anything, none of this would have happened. Investigators talked to his ex-girlfriend, whom he broke up with, or I don't know if he broke up with her, He blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Well, she said that one time John had taken her to that exact same place where Jill's body was found after they got into an argument one time. When police questioned him about everything, he claimed he never talked to Jill about Jill's disappearance to anyone. It's like, dude, you've told 75 people. You've got your grandmother, your brother, your aunt, your ex-girlfriend, your cellmate, your co-workers. Everyone's involved. That's how many. You can't. If it's one or two people, yeah, here's. But it's like, dude, it's everybody that knows you. It's a whole thing now. Yeah. His corrections officer. Oh, Jesus. I know. So during the trial, the prosecution claimed that he had been angered after breaking up with his girlfriend And took his rage out on Jill by abducting and murdering her. Like, he happened to maybe see her riding her bike. He's pissed off at a woman. Takes his anger out on her. 
you know, the rest. Mm -hmm. So he was convicted of murder on October 30th, 2006, and sentenced to 65 years in prison. Well, John appealed his conviction to the Indiana State Supreme Court. He said his defense attorney, Patrick Baker, didn't put enough effort into the case. In November of 2015, the conviction was upheld. However, there have been many recent developments. In October 2019, a federal court vacated John Meyer's conviction. They cited that his legal counsel was ineffective and that John should be released in 120 days. Is this bananas or what? On June 1st, 2020, so one year ago, Judge James R. Sweeney granted John Meyer's petition for release. He was set to be released on Monday, June 15th, 2020. However, the Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that John Myers would stay in custody through the duration of the current appeal process. So he wasn't going to go back at his mom's house with mm-hmm. the monitor. He mm-hmm. was needed to be in custody. So Jill's brother, Brian Berman, was not notified about this potential ruling. So he was unable to attend and unable to speak on her behalf. So I found Brian's Instagram. Of course you did, Snoop Doggy Dog. Snoop Doggy Dog. So a year ago, he posted this on Instagram of, under a photo of Jill. He, it was longer. I'm just taking out some, some of it. He said, because of the way our system works, nobody from our family was able to speak for Jill. I'm not going to lie. The case was circumstantial. There was no DNA. There was no murder weapon. But there was a wide variety of evidence that led a jury of 12 peers to find Myers guilty. Once again, our system silences victims. It silences those who care for those who are lost. My sister didn't get to be present for my wedding. My children will never know Aunt Jill's voice or laugh. And the system doesn't allow anyone to speak for her at this time. I write this from a place of anger and hurt. I've just had the biggest cry I've had in a long time. I hugged my kids in a way that they couldn't understand. I've said it before and I'll say it again. There are many things I love about the life I have and the place I live, but time and time again, I have seen the victims be treated as less than. It sucks. Jill doesn't have a voice anymore, but I can be a voice for her. That's so sad. I know. I can't even imagine. I, know. I, went, I have sisters. I can't even imagine. I know. And I one of them like this. I went through his Instagram, you know, and he's an elementary school principal. He advocates for a lot of great causes on his Instagram. He's into cycling. He's into fitness. I went down a rabbit hole. I found his blog. You're looking at me like I. You're looking at me like I was did. looking at you at the demon yeah, house. I mean, but no, he's a really good writer. It's mostly kind of a. Applying to teaching and stuff, if anyone wants to read it. Hey, I'll link it up. Would that be weird? <laughs> it's called The View from 518.com. I think that's probably the zip code there. But anyway, roundabout way of saying, I'm sure Jill would be very proud of him and his family. So some good news happened in August of 2020 for Jill's family. Just this past August. Mm-hmm. It's strange because when I found this case, I'm like, oh, it's from 2000. And then I didn't even know there'd be so So many recent updates. Things last so long. So the U.S. Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that John Meyer should remain in prison for the remainder of his sentence. Good. So it's back up. Nope, he needs to be in there. So this reversed the ruling from the district court judge, James Sweeney, who had ordered that John be released 
in part because of ineffective legal counsel. So the same judge later said that John should be let out because of a health condition that put him at a high risk during the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. But the Court of Appeals blocked his release and confirmed his conviction. I don't know what's with that judge, but I'm judging him. Yeah. It's because it's like you have a whole court of appeals. It seems very. It, what's this with this one guy? I don't know. He seems very uh, it's involved. Weird. Yeah. I, I just don't quite get it. So the Circuit Court of Appeals acknowledged that his attorney, Patrick Baker, sucked. That's not the <laughs> words they used. Sorry. So this attorney did get reprimanded and temporarily lost his license to practice law for a while because of the errors he made during the trial. I tried really hard to find exactly what errors he made, and I'm not sure. But from what I could hear, he just didn't, quote, put in the effort. They firmly believed that the jury would have came to the same conclusion, though. Sure. So April 2021, a few months ago, the U.S. Supreme Court denied a petition to review his case. So I know there's no real justice when someone's been murdered. But after 21 years of dealing with the legal system, I hope they can get some rest, Jill's family. That's terrible. It's like, you always think about how terrible it is during the time of the crime, but to think they've been dealing with this for 21 years, just the ongoing legal stuff. You don't really, you know, think about that. I did find out that IU hosts a Jill Berman 5K each spring. The proceeds benefit the Jill Berman Emerging Leaders Scholarship and Recreational Sports Program. So this past spring, because of COVID, they did it all virtually so people around the U.S. could run or walk and then capture it, do the hashtag, all that stuff. So my proposal is if they do it virtually next year, we need to do it. Okay. Let's start training. I'll get our friends that run involved. Yes. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know that we could. If they don't do it virtually, that wouldn't be so easy. But that would be kind of cool to get involved in that. I have to write that down so I remember. That should be your thing. You should do all the five five things and things for all of these cases. Yeah, I need to remember that because that is really – I love that. that It's a way to remember someone. It's putting back into, you know, what they love. So I love that. So my sources – are from an article by Laura Lane in the Hoosier Times, a Medium article by Lisa Fuqua. I've read a few of her articles, well, probably more than a few on Medium. I love Medium. Unsolved Mysteries, AP News, and The Court Transcripts. So, this episode was a doozy, huh? Girl, this whole week's been a doozy. It's been a doozy. And I think it's associated with my demon, <laughs> with my demon house story. It's been a week, everyone. It really has. I mean, Ashley, has, do you want to tell them your... I, well, okay, so I was mowing my yard and a tree fell and almost landed on me and killed me. Like, she showed me a picture. It's a big tree. I will post. I will give you the pictures <laughs> we'll to post. This will be our side, this side is our, bar. This is a sidebar. Tree, I'm push mowing because my yard is not that big. I'm a single woman. I have to do all the shit on my own. Which I love. Good for you. Women get stuff done. Yes, we're doing it for ourselves. So I'm push mowing. It's it's self-propelled and it bags. It's not like it's anyways. So I'm as I'm mowing, I have my earbuds in, I'm listening to music, whatever. 
hear like a loud, like crunchy sound. And I look up and like this big ass tree is about to fall on me. So I like let go of the mower and like run sideways and it falls and just like busts. Like it was rotten. Yeah. So then it gets worse. It gets worse. Then I try to pick up the splintered pieces and pile them on the tree, like to the tree so I can finish mowing around because I have a seven-year-old. He runs and plays in the Mm -hmm. backyard. So I'm like, I got to get the yard mowed. Thank goodness he was at golf lessons. So Mm -hmm. he wasn't there. Same thing. Earbuds in, blah, blah, blah. Pick up this piece of wood and throw it into the down tree. And I throw it into a hornet's nest. It got real. They flew. They came for you. They like, came for me. You ruined their like home. Like that scene from My Girl, Thomas J running for my life. One flew up my shorts. It did. And it stung did. me on the butt. I saw it and it was bad. Do like, we post that? I'm no, just joking. We're not posting I'm pictures of my butt. This is an OnlyFans. This is not OnlyFans in my Hornet State. Freaking it's bad. It yeah. stung me once, and I guess it was – I thought I got stung multiple times. Yeah, she thought it was a lot. I'm pulled by multiple bees or multiple hornets. Right. But my sister, who is a nurse, came and looked at my <laughs> hornet sting on my ass and said, it looks like it got me once, and then maybe the other spots were just like it trying to get out. Yeah, like it was trapped in like your clothing. Like it was trapped in my clothing. Girl, it – Lacey knows because I literally called her – sobbing, crying. Let's talk. So she sends pictures of the tree falling in a group chat. And we're all like, oh, no, that sucks. And that's the last thing I hear. She calls me and I answer, are you still alive? Joking. And she's crying. And I'm like, oh, my God, I was kidding. What happened? And she's like, I got attacked by hornets. Yes. I'm like, what? Girl, I'm telling you, a hornet sting, if you've ever been stung by a hornet, also right in because let me tell you something. They're bad. They pack a fucking punch. Like, I was throwing up. Mm -hmm. It hurt so bad. Anyways, it was a whole – some other bad shit happened. I'm not going to say it on the air because – my husband, just, like Lacey's husband, had a, had bike, a bike wreck. wreck. Like he thought he was going to get hit by a car, so he because they went too far at a stoplight or a stop sign, so he tried to avoid them. And by avoiding them, he ran into something, ran off the road, hurt his arm, hurt his arm so bad he thinks he might have torn a tendon. Blah blah blah. It's it's a mess. It's been a mess. And then Lacey, fell. I fell up my stairs. Which sounds weird, but I've had so many people fall on my stairs. It's a whole Her thing. whole knee is skinned up. I broke my phone screen, which is driving me up the wall because I keep thinking something's on my screen. I'm one of those I, people I clean my screen every day, and I just have these – I hate it. We've just had major bad juju between the two of us. It's been every, – every day someone's – and our friends too. They're like, this happened to me. And we're like, what's happening this it's, week? It, I feel like it's associated with my demon house case. Yeah, Ashley thinks that because she was a – but there's silver linings. I got my hair done this week. Oh, okay, Lacey. Let's my dog your... had a photo shoot because he's it's a true. bougie rest. No. <laughs> yes, it's true. Charlie did have a photo my shoot. My dog won Little Rock Soiree Magazine's cutest dog in Little Rock. And I didn't even use this podcast as a platform to try to get votes. So <laughs> I'm just saying. You don't have to. Charlie's a local celebrity. He's such a cutie pie, guys. He's a rescued blue healer, if anyone wants to know. He's also the junior producer, and he's under the table right now because he's scared on, of the on storm. On back asleep. But... We have other good news because 
We have someone that sponsored three cocktails. Yes. The crew from Lucky Lou's. We love Lucky Lou's. We love Lucky Lou's. We love it all. Lucky Lou's is a bar in downtown Total Dive. I don't know if it's a, is it a dive? Because it's I would clean. Think it's, it's clean, but it's just like a, it's small. It's, it's small. a small bar, but it's very friendly. It's dog friendly. That's it's a local place. It's a local place. Yeah. Women owned, Laura owned. They're Laura both named owned. Laura, which Laura, I, I'm Laura here squared. for that. Laura squared. It's dog friendly. Dog friendly. They're tiny patio, but it's Little Rock's smallest, smallest patio. Yes. I love that. Go take a picture on Little. They didn't ask for an ad, but I'll, we'll give them one. We'll yeah. give them one. We're, we're giving we, a shout out to. We Lucky met Lose. for the first time at Lucky Lou's. This is true. We had our podcast release party at Lucky Lou's. This is also true. My dog has caused a couple. Of dog bar fights there. Lacey's dog starts bar fights at Lucky Lou's. With other dogs, but they've always been really nice about it and supportive of his his unsocialized ways. And supportive of us in our podcast. That is very true. We love them. And what what cocktails are we drinking today? I mean, it's always my go-to. Tito's and unsweet tea, which is also known as an ice pick to... I got to call you places. out because when you're here, it's Rocktown Vodka. This is true. And unsweet I tea. usually drink Tito's. Rocktown Vodka is a little rock. Um, we love we love, we love Rocktown too. We love Rocktown. And um, my favorite cocktail I've been obsessed with lately is called a Paloma, which we have a friend that makes them at his art shows. And I, Sergio. Since, we were shouting out all oh the God, people we, today. We love local businesses here. Come to Little Come Rock. To little we're boosting your tourism. Why aren't we on the news? No, I have just no joking. idea. But for real, he has these art shows. Second Look Friday on Instagram. Second Fridays in Little Rock, he makes the best Paloma. And I've asked him for the ingredients. Okay, and I'm going to tell y'all. I'm not going to give away all the secrets. But in a nutshell, it's tequila, mm-hmm. squirt, which is a grapefruit I had, soda. Okay, first of all, my face right now, because I didn't know squirt was in that. I know, right? That's would, the secret. All, I've I've had so many Palomas. I'm not a big grapefruit person, but Squirt is so good. Squirt, tequila. So, okay, so tequila, Squirt, he puts a splash of orange juice in it. Fantastic. And tahine. It's like a lime, chili. I'll post a picture of that too. That is, We'll do a whole separate Instagram spread of all these people we're talking about. Oh my gosh. But it's so good. I also get some grapefruit juice and pour some of that and mix it, but it's I'm obsessed with it. I mean, I didn't know what, exactly what you were drinking because you always drink like fruity concoction and bullshit. <laughs> I love and fruity. She does she not have drinks. a go-to drink. She just randomly orders shit at places. I, and I'm like, now you know, everywhere we go, they're like, I know what you want. What do you want, Lexi? Like, <laughs> we well, know what Ashley's like, drink. But thank you, Lucky Lou's. We love you. We appreciate you. And we'll talk about you the next two episodes. Yay. <laughs> Who else do we want to shout out? Yes. Okay. Anyway, where are we next week? No idea. South Carolina. South Carolina. <gasps> I just actually sent you an article. I saw that. I didn't read it, though, but I will. I mean, I kind of feel like maybe we could both cover it. Is it that big? I don't know. They never are. I'll just say that. <laughs> we'll look into it. <laughs> we'll look into it. It's the Palmetto State, like the tree. I spent my summers in South Carolina. I love South up. Carolina. I love it. Yeah. We had a beach house in Myrtle Beach. In oh, in Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of summers mm-hmm. there. Charleston's my favorite. Charleston, Charleston is one of my favorite cities in the entire U.S. In Savannah, Georgia. Yes. I love the yeah. southern coast. Yes. Southeast coast. So, South Carolina. We're coming for you. Next week. 
also will be drinking more sponsored well, drinks from Lucky yeah, Loose. Let's see what other sponsored drinks we can get. Hey, you know what? I think next week, well, next week I'm not going to drink a tea and vodka. <laughs> You're not. I'm going to let you make me a Paloma. Have you not had him at Sergio's? I mean, girl, I drink everything there. I don't. I don't he is. He's an amazing artist, but let me tell you, he, he is, can bartend. He is a mixologist too, and he can dance, and he's, he's a got, very good salsa. He's a he's jack got, of all trades. He really is. Anyways, South Carolina. We'll talk to you next week. Next week. Bye. Bye.